we left off, so we've jumped around a lot. We had the first week we went through the first two or three pages, and then uh, Wayne and um, Billy were in last week to go over finances here at CBC and security. Was that helpful? Did you guys find that helpful? Did you have any? Did it raise any questions for you or provide anything particularly helpful that you'd like to share with the group? Could I just borrow them if I don't write in it? Like sure. Oh, over there. they're over here. Man, I'll give it back. No, no, you can. I, I got a, I got a pad to write in. You can hang on to it if you like. If you don't find yours, for example. Thank you kindly. Sure. Now, uh, do we get a mark against us if we didn't show up last week for the class? Because you wanted, I wanted to see the. We do hold it against you for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> we just we limit the ways you can serve and. Uh, I was with you. <laughs> no, you don't get a mark against you. Oh. Uh, the material that they cover is in the book here. Okay. As you look over it, if it raises any questions, let me know. And okay. maybe one of them, even if we can not. So Thank you. For you. you guys all good? All right, so we left off on page three, and I went too slow the first week. So I've got some ground to make up, and I'll try to do that. We were going through the importance of leadership in the church and how we at CBC view that as uh, based on what we see in the New Testament. So we went through qualifications for pastors, and um, really the main point here is you can take a look at the passages there, First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. The real, the real uh, emphasis I'd like to make is that uh, the, the Bible takes very seriously who is a pastor and who is involved in the leadership of the church whether a pastor or a deacon, that it's not something that is a popularity contest. It's not something that uh, should be taken lightly for any man who steps into the role. It should be taken very seriously. Uh, it's a grave responsibility to be um, taking part in the leadership of what God's doing in the church. So that's the main thing. You can see under the section for deacons there, uh, there are also requirements given for a deacon. And... Um, one of the things that uh, is becomes apparent as you look at the requirements for a deacon is that there are also requirements given for a deacon's wife. And I think uh, even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say here are uh, qualities that a pastor's wife would have, that if there are requirements for a deacon's wife, then it should be assumed that there are similar requirements or the same requirements would be um, required of a pastor's wife. So... Uh, pastors and deacons are the two distinct roles that the New Testament lays out for leadership of the church. And as you look at the New Testament, you'll see that those are described as the pastor being the one who has the responsibility to lead, to set the direction of the church. And then deacons are there to do a couple things. One, to um, lead by example and to ensure that uh, the church at large is being served properly by the leadership. So you see that role being fulfilled by deacons. And then as well that um, that they are kind of looking out so that the pastors, those who are leading and feeding the flock, uh, the way is cleared for them to do that. And so that's really, it's a supporting role that deacons have. And there are lots of different ways that churches carry out that role. Um, one of the ways that we exercise 
the function of those two roles here at CBC is that last item on the page, which is our leadership team. So monthly, our deacons and pastors meet together. The pastors set the agenda for that meeting with input from the deacons. Um, And then deacons really act as a sounding board, not necessarily a decision-making body. Sometimes deacons are kind of like a board of directors at a church. That's not really how we function here. Um, But we do uh, offer advice, um, counsel to the pastors as they set direction. And then the leadership team as a whole, when the church is asked to make a decision, so we bring something before the church body that needs to be voted on, like ordaining a pastor or financial decisions and commitments we think that would be good for the church to make, the leadership team will generally make a recommendation offer an explanation of the reasoning that led us to that recommendation, and then the church is asked to vote on it. Um, so it's, it's kind of a balanced form of church government. We are congregationally uh, ruled, a congregational form of government, but we take seriously the biblical description of pastors being leaders and pastors ruling, as it were, in the church. So is that is that clear? Does that make sense? I know some of you may have uh, diverse church backgrounds and different churches try to you know, apply the principles we see in scripture about church leadership uh, as best they can and sometimes land in different places. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, every piece of how we do what we do is not explicit in scripture, but we try to follow the, the clear principles and then uh, as well some of the models that we see there. But we're applying them in a modern circumstance that's a little different than the first century church experienced. So there's there's some room for variety there. Yes? When we have a, a request or um, I'm not understanding something or, mm-hmm. uh, that, or, or whatever, um, how do we go about giving it to the uh, elders and the the pastor and stuff appropriately sure. uh, with written uh, with our mouths what do we do and then they get together and discuss how, how yeah. do we do um, well I, I want to first make sure that I uh, portray the leadership team and the pastoral leadership at CBC accurately our pastor is extremely approachable so um, I think in most cases it's appropriate if you've got a doctrinal question or procedural question about how what we do uh, why we do what we do I think it's appropriate to ask a deacon or the pastor you know just to go up and in conversation ask it I think that's acceptable um, sometimes there are things that are maybe a bigger issue and you'd like actually consideration of a, of a change in the way we do things or really you don't understand and you um, trying to think of a specific example like maybe our building use policy. That's something new that we've enacted. Maybe you had a question about that or a suggestion for it. You, maybe you notice you think something's missing that would be helpful to be in it. Um, bringing that to... Yeah. How, about, how about this? Um, I've, I've been in a church all my life, and I've moved from it to come here, mm-hmm. and I'm growing leaps and bounds. Good. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but... Um, I, I, Good, because we're not either. <laughs> I wonder why... Um, there's not a choir. I don't mm-hmm. think... You don't need a choir. It's not that. Sure. It's just I wonder why there's no choir yeah. comparatively to the church I was brought up all these years, and there's like four people, and they keep switching off, which yeah. is interesting and, and neat, but I just wondered why. Yeah. That's, That's actually a good question. Um, I'll see if I can answer it quickly, So, because we've got... Uh, I'm trying to make up uh, ground today, but... You don't have to answer it. You can answer it after, okay. after class. 
But let's I, do that. And, but but let me answer. No, that's something I'd like to know. How do you yeah. bring that? Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I think it's perfect to just, you know, just ask myself okay. or one, you know, one yeah. pastor okay. or somebody. But so I will. I'll answer that yeah. after the, yeah. after class for you. But uh, I'll say this though that um, that's a great question and it's very intentional the way we have it, the way it is, and there's a good answer for it. So I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you after class. Um, what I was going to say is there are some things you might want to make a suggestion, like with our building policy. We actually do have, you might have received a letter in the recent uh, weeks from your deacon. We have deacon caring groups, and everybody in the church has been assigned to one of the deacons, and that deacon is uh, with the list of people praying for those people and, um, you know, watching if that person hasn't been around for a while so so that somebody notices, maybe it's a new person that not a lot of people know, and they just kind of go missing for four or five weeks. Maybe they're sick and nobody knows about it. So that deacon's job is to notice that that person's not there and call and say, hey, how's it going? Do you need anything? So we've got deacon caring groups for that purpose. And that's the person, if you had, like, a suggestion for a building policy, you could let your deacon know that, and he can put it, he could get it put on the agenda for our next leadership team meeting to consider what might be an oversight in our building policy. So uh, some questions just merit walk up and ask like you just did. Some things that maybe we need to act on, you can send that to your deacon or approach them and ask them about it and they can get it put into the leadership agenda. Yes? I was going to just ask, who are the deacons of the church? Okay. And I was unfamiliar with sure. uh, my assigned deacon. Yeah, we have um, six of them currently, and generally the number of them is based on how many people are in the congregation. And uh, let's see if I can go through and remember all of us. Uh, there's myself, my father, Larry Castle, my father-in-law, Ed Martin, um, Ken McGill. The three of us have been deacons for a number of years. And then we have three new ones that were elected, uh, I think, two family meetings ago. And that's Mark Hunter, Pete Bellich, who works in our sound booth, and John Roberts, who works in our sound booth. So those are your six deacons. And I have a list somewhere. Uh, John Roberts. I have a list somewhere in my device here that would tell me who is your deacon, and if you want to come up afterwards, I can look that up too. So they, we all sent emails out, but I know sometimes we don't have, we had a problem with our email system getting stuff to you, so that you might have just not gotten your letter. Um, so I think that, any other questions on leadership team, pastors and deacons? All right, pretty straightforward. So um, the next page, page four, just a, a quick word about the material on page four with our leadership development. Because we take leadership so seriously here at CBC, um, we have a couple things that we've instituted to help be developing leaders from within our congregation. Um, in fact, when it comes to pastors, ideally we'd like to, rather than scouring the country for a new pastor if we needed one, uh, we'd like to have men who have been discipled and matured here step into that role of leadership as time goes on. We think that's the ideal. doesn't mean that's the only way it can happen, but uh, we, we like that as a model. That way it's people who understand our philosophy of ministry, people who are in agreement with us doctrinally and in practice, and they then come through uh, various um, stations of leadership, whether it's a ministry coordinator 
or a deacon, and then at some point, uh, if the Lord should uh, qualify them and the church recognize that in them, they could actually become one of our pastors. Um, so Leadership Institute is one of the things that we have. This is a class that is currently being led by Richard Carrico, uh, one of our deacons previously, he used to be our treasurer as well, uh, who's just on his, he's rotated off for a couple years of uh, leadership team, but he's as one of the most senior leaders in our church teaching that. And it focuses on uh, the four areas that you see listed there. Their doctrine is the word, uh, character really is a section on leader, and uh, then the church itself and the mission are focusing on how has God said in his word the church is supposed to function and what are they supposed to be doing. And so that's a, a course that anybody um, who would like to lead any area of our ministry should consider taking. It's really designed with um, men and leadership in mind, but it's not restricted to just men. We do have uh, women who are leading various areas of our ministry, our, our prayer ministry, um, and several other ministries have uh, women uh, in leadership in, uh, in some capacity there, our children's ministry. Um, you saw last week uh, the great job that Val does leading our children's ministry. So uh, Leadership Institute is there for that purpose. It's to uh, help those who lead in any ministry in our church. And then in particular, if you're going to be on our leadership team, it's a requirement that you've been taking that. And uh, that's listed there, I think, on the section that I kind of skipped through quickly there. Uh, it's included. And then we have a pastors and training program, and uh, Jim, um, uh, Jim uh, Steppenbacher, thank you. I'm like, why am I forgetting Jim's last name? Jim Steppenbacher, it's on recording. Jim's going to hear me forgetting his last name. Jim Steppenbacher is currently going through that uh, course. This is something that our pastor leads, and it's really designed to do the same kind of thing. It focuses primarily on character, theology, and skills. And those are really the three areas that as we develop leaders, particularly pastors, we're looking to focus on. Um, character, because regardless of how great of a, um, you know, as just on a human plane we talk about, no matter how great a guy's leadership skills, some guys are just born, you know, they, they're they put in a group and automatically they're taking charge of the group. It's just their kind of personality. Well, regardless of what kind of personality a man has, in order to lead God's church, he has to have godly character. So that's really the primary focus. And then as well, though, theological uh, training, we want to make sure that, like the Bible describes, he is a man that can correctly um, teach God's word, that can... Uh, rightly divide as the Bible talks about God's word. And then uh, something that's often neglected is in pastoral ministry ministry is if a man has great character because he loves the Lord and he understands doctrine, uh, we sometimes don't pay attention to whether or not he is skilled in leading people. And we think that's just as important um, that uh, the Bible talks about a pastor being able to teach others, being able to pass on uh, what he's learn from God's word and how he's learned practically practically to apply it, that he needs to be able to lead other men in that. So skill is just as important. So pastors and training focuses on those things. Uh, you can see in the third paragraph down that he and his wife, uh, in order to be um, growing and being evaluated in those things, uh, anyone who would be a pastor at CBC and his wife must be actively engaged in ministry here and in overall in what's going on in the life of the church. Um, that they, the church should be 
uh, aware that this person's considering pastoral ministry. So that's kind of what we're doing with Jim. We've let the whole congregation know that uh, this man has an interest in pastoral ministry. And just like he's learning and developing those skills that are necessary, we want you to be watching he and his family and evaluating. Are they are they people who the Lord has prepared to lead us? Because someone might be a really good person. Um, they might really love the Lord and just in one of those three areas not be prepared or not be qualified. And so the church is evaluating that. And then uh, finally the last item in that paragraph that the congregation is asked to provide input. So before we ordain somebody to be one of our pastors, the congregation has to give approval to that. And um, that fourth paragraph toward the end there uh, it's talking about how do we certify a candidate's theology and uh, traditionally what would happen is a guy would go through seminary and uh, at the end of the seminary would defend his doctrinal dissertation and then we'll have an ordination council and in our circles what usually happens is we'll call together representatives of several like-minded churches they will test him publicly We'll have representatives from each church, and they'll have his doctrinal statement. They'll ask questions about it and really just find out how comfortable is he defending publicly, verbally, these things that he says he believes because he's going to have to do that as a pastor. And a lot of times, honestly, it's kind of a formality. The people in the crowd who are doing that have already heard him defend it at seminary, uh, have worked with him throughout his theological training. And so... It's such a formality that a lot of times you'll have the ordination ceremony on a Saturday, and then the ordination service is that next day on Sunday. So family travels in from out of town. And honestly, it, it is you wouldn't be putting him up for consideration if you didn't already think he was um, qualified. But our pastor, wanting to make sure that this is not just a rubber stamp, has actually, in our church, the way we've done it, the only time we've done it and the model we've set up, is that uh, it's not a foregone conclusion that the man will be ordained before the council. So we actually have the ordination um, the ordination council meets months before we have an ordination service. So we schedule it out in advance so the person does really come uh, planning to defend what they believe. And though we have a strong suspicion that ordination will happen, we don't assume it ahead of time. Um, and really the, the main thing is it's not that we don't have confidence. We wouldn't be considering him. We don't want to put a guy through that if we don't think he's going to be qualified. But we don't want it to be uh, going through the motions. So, and then one thing that I want to point out about this is while seminary is strongly encouraged here at CBC, um, we don't make it uh, a strict requirement. The strict requirement is solid theology, biblical theology. And so if a person's acquired that just through years of discipleship and personal study, if they understand uh, sufficiently what the Bible teaches in the various areas and have a, a grasp of what we call systematic theology, then that person may be qualified to be ordained, and we would take that into consideration. So you see at the, the uh, first part of the fourth paragraph that uh, the candidate's theology can be acquired formally, informally, or a combination of them. Um, and then all things being equal, we think this process probably could take about two years for a person to, to uh, raise the desire. I'd like to be considered for pastoral ministry, whether here at CBC or sending as a church planter or some other capacity. And then for the church to evaluate that person for that ministry. So 
um, you know, for us to live and serve among with that person and confirm, yeah, they have the character, they have the theological preparation, and they've got the skills we think that uh, would be required and fit what the Bible says are required to uh, lead God's people. So any questions about any of that? Maybe lots of similarities to what you've been exposed to, maybe some differences? Any questions? All right, so take a look at uh, page 5. We've got a statement there. I kind of already mentioned the statement about wives, that uh, pastors and deacons' wives, uh, the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, we, we would see as applying to those. But uh, just further in getting to know CBC, the next section is on outreach. So one of the key elements of who CBC is is that from the very beginning, our pastor uh, established in our practice a mindset that is outwardly focused. Uh, that is, God has called us all out. That's what the church is, a group of called out people. God's called us out of the world to a new relationship, a new community, and that's what we are here, a new community uh, that is the family of God. And in this local place, we're the local gathering of God's family, and we're working together to carry out the ministry, the, the mission God's given us. And that mission primarily focuses on finding more people to bring into this family. And so because of that, we're very outreach-focused. Um, the first section, they were just talking about uh, the mindset that we have here at CBC. One of the things that attracted me when this church plant was just beginning and I met with Pastor and heard him lay out the philosophy and the, the vision that he had for CBC was that it was very meticulously planned with the mission in mind. Uh, the mission God's given us to be going into the world or as we're going into the world, making disciples, teaching them to observe what he's commanded and, uh, you know, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And I was very impressed with Ken's, um, the effort that he had put into taking that mission that we've been given and applying it to our current circumstance in a way that, didn't compromise the overall function, but recognized the need to be flexible in form. And those two distinctions are very important. They were very important in my mind, and so I want to highlight them to you. We recognize that there are certain functions that are given in the New Testament that are unchanging, that we are to be a disciple-making body, that we are to be service-oriented, that we are gathered to worship when we gather together. And so these different priorities in the church, worship, discipleship, service, evangelism, these key focuses don't change. But how we go about accomplishing them might change depending on the cultural circumstance we find ourselves in and the opportunities available to us. So we have this actual weekly structure of our church is very different than what I grew up with. We have where every church I ever went to from the time I became a believer in 10th grade was uh, you go in the morning, you have Sunday school class. Then you have you go to a worship service together after that. In the evening, you gather back in the same building and you have another preaching service, the Sunday evening service. And then on Wednesday night, you meet back together for another teaching service and then children's programs are going on. And then sometimes there might be an educational meeting during the week called an institute or something like that. Very uh, firm structure that is almost thought of, at least in my mind, was thought of as the biblical model when really the biblical model is uh, one gathering on the Lord's Day 
together of the, the corporate church. And when, when the writer of Hebrews talks about don't neglect your assembling together, I think that's probably what's in view there. And outside of that, a lot of the things that we think of as traditional church have been developed over time to accomplish these unchanging purposes. So like uh, Sunday evening services were originally designed to be evangelistic when gas lights became commonplace in our, in our country and in, in other places. And uh, it was an attraction. People would come at night to see this building with all kinds of, or not gas lights, I meant to say electric lights, uh, would come to see this building that you could meet in at night with electric lighting. Um, that's not really what our Sunday evenings are now. <coughs> Pardon me. So I thought it was very um, insightful that we would flip-flop our morning services so that our worship services first, the people who are committed, who are gathered intentionally every week to come worship, they can get up a little earlier. And then the second hour, which is when probably most people in our culture who are gonna, who don't go to church but who might visit a church, would think of going is that second hour. So we have our, our kind of educational hour, that hour, and we focus it on themes that would be helpful to our congregation but attractive to unbelievers. So things about finance, things about help for your marriage. And we would send mailers out for those, and we do about three of those a year. That's not an accident. Those are three a year, and right before those, you'll notice a major event that's easy to invite people to. So like an outreach type of event, it's not an evangelistic event. There's no preaching at it per se, but it's something where an unbeliever or a non-church person can come and meet people and then form an initial relationship that might make them more comfortable coming to our educational hour, the second hour. So I dive into the details of that. There's actually everything we do on our weekly calendar is a part of that design of how can we be carrying out the mission. And that's one of the examples of how we've implemented that. That's the outward focus. Uh, and then even down to the way our pastor talks when he preaches, he tries to use language that is guest sensitive. Um, we make the second hour more like a classroom because then there's no uh, difficulty that a lot of churches face with, okay, we have a, a time when guests are going to be coming what do we do about the music? You know, they're not used to singing hymns. Uh, a lot of churches may be tempted to fall into more of an entertainment mode because they want to make it more attractive or less intimidating for an unchurched person coming in. So we, while we would not call ourselves seeker-sensitive, we, we haven't really changed our service, especially our worship service, to be more appealing to an unbeliever. We have structured our, our week so that we have opportunities when, when guests come in uh, we've considered their experience. We want to make sure that we're wel welcoming to them and that while they're going to be introduced to things that are foreign because if they're not a believer, they're not a worshiper and we're, we're here coming together to worship. We've tried to use uh, consider that they're coming in and we want to introduce them to God's word and the truth in a way that's as uh, non-threatening as possible, but we understand you can't get rid of all of the offense because the gospel is offensive to us sinners. So we've we've striven, striven, striven. Is that a word? We strived to find the middle ground on that to find balance on that. Yes, ma'am. I find it really appealing to um, to hear pastors say um, we've marked these Bibles yeah. and we've got Bibles for anybody. We want you in the Word and and they give out Bibles. I I find that fascinating. Yeah, that, little things like that, things yes. To, to bring them in and participate, I like that. Yeah, it's it's simple things like that that uh, when I first met Ken and he laid out his philosophy and, and strategy, 
uh, I found very insightful. Things like not having a bulletin, but a program. Uh, when we go to baptisms, for example, have you ever been to one of our baptism celebration? The first time we ever had one, this was unplanned, but this was something that um, just is a part of that mindset that he has uh, cascaded to those of us who've been here for a while. Uh, when we had our first baptism, the goal was it was a celebration, it was a dinner, a banquet that this new believer is inviting all of their unbelieving friends and family to. And it's the time in their walk of faith where they'll have the most connection. Some of those connections get severed. Um, in my past, intentionally, sometimes when, when not necessary, uh, but sometimes it just happens because of the different way of life a person assumes when they become a believer. Sometimes the unbelieving friends and unbelieving family are less comfortable, and so they do kind of the relationships lessen. But at the point where that connection is still the strongest, we want to have them have a chance to invite those people and give what a baptism is, a public testimony of the change that's happened in their life. And because we've got a ton of people there who don't know the way we do it in our Baptist circles, you know, we're, we're not a Baptist church, we're a Bible church, but our belief really fits in traditional Baptist doctrine. The way we've tended to do it is there's no clapping in our churches, you know. But at our first baptism celebration, uh, the person was baptized, and when they came out of the water, um, some of our new believers and a lot of the unbelieving family there were there. It was it was a very exciting thing, and everybody spontaneously clapped. And that's been just kind of a tradition at our baptisms. And probably, I'm guessing, anybody who comes from the circles I grew up in who's at one of those for the first time, it's a weird thing for me to even think about now, but are probably taken aback at first when they hear people clapping. And it's such a, I think of such a silly thing now for us to get caught up on. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that we've tried to be mindful of here is um, to recognize our Christianized, our Christian culture, that subculture we've formed, and where it's not necessary, tear down those walls. Sometimes the walls are important and good with our culture change, our separation from our culture, but sometimes they're unnecessary, and we've tried to be discerning in how we uh, handle those. So our Discovering God I made mention of, uh, that class is set up with an outreach mindset. Our events that we have I made mention of three times a year approximately we'll have events that are designed for outreach. They're very easy, non-threatening, low-threshold events. People can come in, and we promote at those events the next series that's coming up in our second hour, and it's generally something that would have appealed to even a non-believer who maybe recognizes they need help in their marriage, for example, or help understanding principles of parenting or finance. Um, and then our daycare is listed there as well. A ministry we started recently uh, is a ministry to our families who can use affordable daycare. But then also we have a lot of families from the community who use it, and it's an, a way of introduction to our community. Um, the next page there, uh, I'm going to kind of skip over. There's some, some word about invitations. I don't think we actually have any of those currently. We're going through some redesign uh, of those, but um, we have been, in the past had business card size invitations you can use. If you're interested in something like that, we can get you some in the interim while we're redesigning this. Um, it's just a way for you to be able to easily, a friend says, um, whatever, you're telling about something that happened at church and they're curious. If there's not a current thing going on where you can give an invitation, uh, you could give just a generic card that tells our meeting times. You can always give our website address out. That's very um very guest friendly and a lot of people actually mention 
when they tell us how they heard about us, they'll mention that it was through the website. Um, you'll see there our uh, missions philosophy. Just kind of introduce we we devote actually about seven, little over seven percent of our annual budget to missions, and you can see there listed our current roster of missionaries. The R-A-N that you see listed under several of them means restricted access nation. So we don't list their nation ever in print in case it were somehow to be distributed online. We don't want to jeopardize their standing or safety in the country that they're in. Um, and you see an email address listed there. If you'd like to, you know, if you're particularly interested in missions and want to get to know our missionaries better or would like to correspond with them and let them know you're praying for them, you can use that email address there and our missions coordinator will um, will help facilitate that. So now if you skip to page 10, that is where we left off, and I just will have time to introduce um, our philosophy. I'll go through our targeted ministries here and then our philosophy. So on page 10, I talk about their um, targeted ministries. Um, one of the things that we've tried to do by not having you know a lot of times a church will have a youth group that's kind of a sub church in the church we've tried very hard to avoid that i'm the student ministries coordinator of our church and one of the things that i've tried to do and you guys have been through it so you can maybe tell if i've done it or not is i try to help remind the teenagers that they're a part of the larger church so we instigate their involvement in service not just in youth group stuff in fact, not even primarily in youth group stuff. We have a couple ways that they can serve in youth group. We don't have like a youth leadership council or anything. Not that that's wrong. I just have never done it. But we uh, encourage them to be involved in our children's ministry. We encourage them. We have service days throughout the year that they can be involved in what's going on in the church in a larger scale. Um, and we encourage them to be involved in anything that's going on in the church outside of the youth group, like our church picnics, Memorial Day and Labor Day picnic, and family camp. And we want them to, in our community groups, we want them to understand that they're a part of the whole church body. And another thing that we've done to try and uh, avoid developing subcultures is we don't have age-graded Sunday school classes. Not that we never do that. Our, our crossroads, college age and career age, meets together every now and then for classes that help uh, them focus on things that they need to uh, navigate through at their stage of life. But primarily, we generally have one Sunday school class that our pastor teaches, one group class. Like I told you before, it ties into our uh, discipleship and outreach. Um, but even in our community groups, we've had parents request from time to time um, a curriculum for their children during the community group. Right now in our community groups, the kids just kind of play together while the adults have conversation and fellowship. And we've purposely not done that. We don't want community group to be a class where their little kids go to and have another curriculum. We want the kids to be forming relationships with each other just like the adults are doing. Uh, we've had some parents ask about having a, a community group that was just for the youth group so the youth could get together. And we've purposely avoided doing that as well because we want to practice um, what the Bible describes as the older teaching the younger. So we, I want my teenage daughters to be sit, sitting with an older woman and learning about her life and learning from her life and her to be able to give wise advice and counsel to, to my girls as they sit and get to know each other. And so our teenagers from junior high up sit in the discussion time in our community groups. Um, so we do, though, have targeted ministries. We have women's ministry and men's ministry as well as children's and youth. 
and we even have a group called the Friends Group because we do understand that uh, it's helpful to have that connection with people who are going through the same, same, the same stage in life that you're going through uh, to be able to connect and share with each other in that way. But we, uh, we don't have those groups isolated so that they're on a track all on their own and everything's about that group. So we've tried again to have that balance to be doing what the Bible talks about where we're one body and we're ministering to one another and the younger are benefiting from the experience of the older and the older are benefiting from the energy and enthusiasm of the younger. And uh, that's all by design. Um, so on page 11, we get into philosophy and we kind of run out of time. So it actually works out well. Next week, we'll really start on this. I'll just introduce this, our uh, mission statement now. But next week, we'll focus on this. We'll go through all of it, and we'll really land on the last part of that when we talk about service and how you can be plugged into what's going on here at CBC. So our mission is, you heard me have, uh, no, actually, you wouldn't have. You were in here. You heard me have the teens recite it last week in our our, uh, promotion Sunday. Our mission is to help people learn about God, to love him and others, and to live for his purpose. So it focuses on those three verbs, learn, love, and live. And those three are in that order on purpose. And we've structured, we've tried to structure our calendar at the church, our various ministries and our, and our agenda at the church to be carrying out those three purposes. Learning, so our understanding of who God is, who we are, and what our purpose is, is the foundation for then being able to live lives characterized by what Jesus called the two great commands. The summary of everything God's commanded, that we love him and that we love others and that those two things are vital because everything falls everything that we do should fall underneath those and then living for his purpose how do we practically live that out uh, week in week out and how we get plugged in and engaged in ministry here at cbc so we'll start on page 11 next week and we're actually going to believe it or not go through the rest of this material in one day (laughs) next week as we uh, take a look at those i think they're I think they're fairly straightforward. We'll look at a little bit of the biblical uh, foundation for that mission statement, and then it'll be very practical down to how do you log into the church website and find groups to be serving in and and be participating in ministry. So let's have a a word of prayer, and we'll close exactly on time. Tell the youth group that I was able to do that. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this chance to uh, stop and focus on how you have designed your church to be led and function and how we can be participating in that. And thank you, Lord, for the leadership that you've given us at CBC, particularly for our pastor and uh, your work in his life, uh, your grace in his life, so that he would have the understanding and um, and passion to begin this church and to uh, structure it from its beginning in a way that would be conducive to carrying out the work you've given us to do. We pray that you'd help us to uh, be um, effective members uh, of this church, that you'd help us to be um, carrying out the work that you've given us to do as a body uh, and doing our part individually, and uh, that this time together will help us in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.